Brewers Publications, a.k.a. BP, is the largest publisher of contemporary brewing literature for today's craft brewers, homebrewers, and beer enthusiasts. With over 50 titles to choose from, there's a beer book to fill most needs. Whether you're just discovering beer or are a seasoned professional, BP is the go-to choice for brewers looking to expand their knowledge and hone their craft. Check out the complete BP catalog at BrewersPublications.com. quick-hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, ingredients, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. For now. Aw, come on. <laughs> oh, well, hey, you gotta finish the new theme song there, man. Then then I can't say that anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, one of these days it will happen. There you go. And, and now the audience has a trill of anticipation. Hmm. Or they're running for the bathroom to retch. There you go. So today's episode is going to be a new uh, episode format. Today we are tackling an ingredient. So, so far we've tackled styles and we've tackled recipes. Now it's time to get into the world of ingredients and what makes our beer our beer. And thanks to a couple of conversations I've been having online recently. Well, today we're going to tackle the almighty oat. To get started, let's explore a little bit about what the oat actually is. Uh, the oat, for those of you who would prefer a more scientific name, after all, we are experimental brewing, is Avena sativa, which means cultivated oat. Literally from the Latin, it means cultivated oat. How boring. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I, I didn't know that. I don't know if I needed to know it. Well, uh, so just for uh, the Latin nerds out there, sativa means uh, cultivated, and Avena means oat, so cultivated oat. So oats are a cereal grain. They've been around humanity pretty much as long as humanity's been around. Much more common in cooler climes than where uh, a lot of our early history starts in the in the Near East. But wild oats recorded all the way back through time in history. All right. So now oats are a cereal grain, a, a grass that has been around. Well, it's been around humanity as long as humanity's been humanity. Now. We have records of it all the way back in, you know, basically earliest recorded history in the Near East, but it wasn't really a thing that was grown. It was kind of just a wild weed that uh, humanity took advantage of, and it didn't actually become a cultivated crop until humanity started to move up into the cooler climes, you know, say up in Europe, where it is incredibly important, and this was about in the Bronze Age period. So at that point in time, oats actually became a thing that humanity raised. Now... Even to this day, oats are largely used for livestock and, of course, also for porridge or oatcake applications because one of the biggest problems with oats is that oats don't contain any gluten. Now, I know that uh, these days you could probably hold up a bank in L.A. with a glutened uh, bagel. You know, <laughs> gluten has become the enemy, but it back in for most of humanity, gluten was very, very important because gluten allows you to make bread. It traps carbon dioxide, allows the the dough to rise and allows you to have something that you can chew on that isn't as hard as a brick. Oats really have kind of a, a long association with poverty. 
and the lower classes because refined wheat flour was usually reserved for sort of the upper classes or at least those who could afford for some extra technology. Oats, common, common amongst humanity, very, very important for us from a point of view of keeping us alive, but really uh, sort of not that well thought of for a good portion of human history. James Boswell did a biography very famously of Samuel Johnson. Uh, Samuel Johnson being very English, Boswell being very Scottish. Johnson was known for saying, uh, in England, we wouldn't think of eating oats. We only feed them to horses. And Boswell, who was very fond of Johnson, said, well, maybe that's why in England you have better horses. And in Scotland, we have better men. <laughs> I'm a fan of oats, but you know, I'm partially Scottish. I'm also partially Irish and partially English, but whatever. I like oats. Now, one last little story before we get into the brewing world. The phrase, sowing your wild oats, actually really came about because it was considered a wasteful thing, right? So, and it's really, really hard to tell wild oats away from cultivated oats. You know, they look very much the same, except for wild oats have far less yield. And so, in order to weed a field of the wild oats, you actually had to go through and investigate every stock by hand. So, you're wasting a lot of time. Now, somewhere along the way, in the modern context, that phrase gets shortened into, well, just a whole idea of sexual and youthful abandon, mostly thanks to the idea of wild oats being very fecund. Mm. Yeah. Fecund. Fecund, I know. It broke out the SAT <laughs> words. And now we're going to get into why do we use oats in beer? Yeah, this is the part that I want to talk about. Yeah, I know. You're going to disagree with me about this. So the classical reasons that are given for using oats in beer are really threefold. They are credited with giving a richness, a sort of fatty, unctuous mouthfeel. They are known to round off harsher flavors. And they also claim that they can lend a sweetness to your beer without actually leading to a cloying type character. Like if you use a lot of crystal malt. These are the three things that are always said about oats and why they're used in beer. Now, I happen to actually believe in these, but Denny, why don't you go ahead and drop a, drop your experience? Well, you know, I uh, I spent, oh, geez, close to a year playing with oats in all different beer styles. Uh, I will clarify by saying that generally I was using flaked oats or instant oats, uh, something that was easy to use because, hey, that's what I'm all about. And, uh, you know, I wanted to put them in a pale ale and porter and stuff like that for exactly the reasons that, that you were mentioning, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I kept getting opposite results. I would find that the beers were thinner, that they had kind of harsh off flavors to them. And, uh, you know, after, oh, geez, I guess probably I tried them in maybe eight or ten different batches, different styles of beer, I told myself, okay, so all this lore about uh, what oats do for your beer is just not happening for me, and I quit. And I can't remember if I've even ever used oats since then. What do you think? Am I on to something? Was I doing it wrong? What's, what's going on here, Drew? Well, I think you're on to something. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, I'm completely puzzled by what you got. Now, part of it I can see if you're talking about sort of a thinner, harsher character, or maybe sometimes a grainy character. I've gotten that sometimes out of bad oats, but I've gotten those out of some like, you know, really sort of neglected oats that really probably shouldn't have used. Uh, my cheap nature got the better of me. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, here's here's what you do. And we'll talk about this experiment in a little bit. But make a wort just with, you know, just 
a half a pound of grain and a half a pound of oats and make a sample word out of that and then right. pull it off. And if you don't taste the oat character out of that, because, I mean, that's going to be oats amped you know, to the highest extreme, then I, I, I'd be highly, highly surprised. For me, I use oats all over the place. If you go and you look at a lot of my recipes, you'll see oats hither and pither scattered around in small amounts. And I do find that I get, again, those sort of sweet characters and a little bit more roundness. Particularly, I like to use them when I'm going into a darker beer because one of the things I don't like, and I know you and I have had disagreements on this before, is I don't tend to like a lot of harsher roasted notes. I don't like the, the sort of acridness that you get from your big, deep, dark black malts. For that reason, I've switched a lot to using you know, the dehus malts like Carafa. I've also taken to using, you know, things like oats because I feel like those kind of soften some of the blow. I don't know. I think you're nuts. Let me let me ask you, when you were doing your oats in your beer, how much were you using? Oh, geez. But I would guess probably at least a pound. Mm-hmm. And in most beers, that would be getting close to, you know, 10% of the grist. Let's, uh, let's keep exploring because that's very puzzling to me. Well, you know what? And maybe I'll have to go revisit this. I, I think so. And particularly because I think there are some more uh, varieties of oats that are available than there ever were in the past. Why don't we get into that next? Let's talk some oat forms because there are a whole variety of different oat forms that you can actually buy and pick up. So now we'll start at the least refined and moved all the way down to most refined. And then we'll skip over to some brewing specialty forms. The least refined that you'll see out there is the groat, which is a great word. The groat. Groat. Like goat with an R. Exactly. You'll also sometimes see them called oat berries. Now, both groat and berry are terms used for most of the cereal grains out there when they're left whole, but the husk has been removed. So if you think of your barley malt and you go and you crush it, you know, that papery thing on the outside, that husk, that hull, if that's been removed, Mm -hmm. then what you're left with is that interior seed and that is referred to as a groat now most of the time you'll hear the word groat either used for oats or for buckwheat but it is a term that can actually apply out to a lot of things so technically when we're talking about groats what we really need to be talking about is oat groat say that five times fast (laughs) hey it's fun yeah so now groats do require a lot of cooking a lot of processing because they are a whole berry we don't tend to actually use them a ton in brewing I just don't think they're that practical. Then as you start to move down, what ends up happening is you have different forms that are processed because it turns out people like oats, but they don't like the hours and hours and hours of cooking that it takes to make a groat into something nice and creamy. The next step down is what are called steel cut oats. And steel cut oats are groats that have been passed through very fine, basically big steel wheels that are sharp and cut down into two, three, four pieces. So they kind of look like somebody took a rice grain and chopped them up just slightly smaller. These are classically, you'll hear them a lot of times referred to as Irish oats, but the steel cut oats are a top-notch product to have for breakfast. The biggest thing about the steel oats is they retain a chewiness, a nuttiness. There's a slight difference in their sweetness, and they also have a tendency not to be subject to as much rancidity because they've been chopped up less, right? So kind of think of the whole thing that we explored before about barley malt whole versus barley malt crushed, and we know that as things get crushed, they get exposed to oxygen that can cause staling. For me, for breakfast, 
is steel cut oats. Now we go from there to the next level of oats, which is the one that almost everybody will think of for breakfast, which is the flaked oat or the old fashioned or rolled oats. Uh, these three terms are used somewhat interchangeably. There are small differences between them. Really, if you see those in a recipe, what that pretty much means is go to the grocery store, buy a can of Quaker oats, you know, one of the big cardboard tubes, and use those. These are... Now, wait a minute. You said flaked? I thought flaked were pre-gelatinized. So are old-fashioned and rolled. I'm just about to get into that. The way that they flake them or roll them is the oats themselves are lightly steamed, so they're pre-cooked, and then passed between two hot rollers. These big metal rollers that are heated basically flatten out the grains and dry them. Because of the, the steaming and the heat applied during the pressing process, the grains are gelatinized. The biggest thing about it from a brewer's perspective, flaked oats are probably the easiest thing to use because they pretty much just get dumped straight into the mash and you're ready to go. But this is literally, if you're thinking your breakfast cereal, this is probably what you're having. Unless... You're having the next form, which is instant oats. If you're used to thinking of oatmeal as that thing that you get out of a little brown paper bag with, you know, apple cinnamon flavor or maple brown sugar flavor, and you heat it up with some water in the microwave and stir it together and you get goo, that's instant oats. Now, what's the difference between instant oats and flaked oats? Just like flaked oats are basically steel-cut oats that have been steamed and flattened, instant oats are flaked oats that have then been chopped up through more die cutters. If you look at a, a handful of instant oats, and you look at a handful of old-fashioned oats, what you'll see is the old-fashioned oats are very discernibly pieces of grain that have been flattened out. When you look at the instant oats, you'll see that they kind of look like that, except for if you ran them through, you know, a whole line of Japanese chefs, you know, doing the Benihana treatment to everything. So instant oats are great because they will cook up in about two seconds flat. They're terrible because of more surface area, leading to more staling. Really, I don't know, for the most part, the flavor I get out of instant oats has never been very pleasing to me. So even when I'm doing breakfast, if I'm in a hurry, I'd much rather go for the old-fashioned rolled oats than ever go for instant oats. Now, having said that, is there any reason for you to choose you know, the flaked oats that you find in the homebrew supply store over, say, a can of Quaker oats or grocery store oats that you can find you know, in aisle 10, the hot cereal aisle? And to my mind, I don't know about you, Denny, but no, I don't think there is. I think if a can of oats at your grocery store is cheaper than the bag of oats that you can buy at the local homebrew supply store, buy the can of oats. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, yeah. And the other thing is the can of oats in your grocery store will likely have some sort of date code on it, which uh, maybe at the homebrew shop you won't know exactly how old those oats are. Those are the sort of culinary oats. You'll also see oat flour, but I really don't consider oat flour to be a practical brewing tool. There are two forms of brewing specific versions of oats that I think we should talk about. Both of these I love dearly, one of which is probably arguably my favorite specialty oddball grain, and that is oat malt or malted oats. Yeah, now that's that stuff is different for sure. So so imagine taking oats straight off the grass stalk they grow on, and instead of processing them even down to the level of groats, you leave that husk on, that hole is still there, and then you treat them just like maltsters treat barley. You get them wet, you let them sprout a little bit, and then you dry them. What you've got is a grain that's already been pre-converted. It has all the appropriate brewing enzymes. It has a husk. It has enough diastatic power to convert itself and other stuff, which means that you don't have to worry about the level of Lintner power in your mash. It is fantastic, and it's something that can be used by every level of brewer. You can use it in your extract beers as a steeping thing. You can use it in your all-grain beers. 
the husk material is so fine and the kernels themselves are small, which is actually kind of the one problem with using these two forms of brewing oats I'm going to talk about, is the kernel is so small that you may actually have to adjust your mill or make sure that you mix it in with a bunch of barley and allow the, all that stuff to run together. The husk is so fine that it actually provides a really great laudering bed, which is really, really great because as we'll get into, oats are notorious in a brew for sticking. So oat malt used to be a very common ingredient, but it sort of faded uh, as we came into the 20th century, now to the point where for the longest time, we only had one producer of oat malts, and that was Thomas Fawcett's. And I think now there are a couple of small malters that are making their own malted oats. But still, if you're going to buy malted oats, more than likely, you're getting Thomas Fawcett's uh, oat malt. I love this stuff. It's nutty. It's chewy. It gives, you'll hear people talk a lot about fattiness from oats, and it gives the sort of chewy residual body that I want out of oats, but without that sort of fatty component. I love oat malt and I use it a lot to the point where my local homebrew store pretty much keeps oat malt around just for me. <laughs> they know I'll buy it. That's nice of them. I know. It's, it's kind of nice to be loved in that way. Oat malt is the first of the two brewing style votes that I've played with. The other one is also really fun, and that's the Simpsons Golden Naked Oats. And you know, aside from sounding slightly dirty and racy, what Golden Naked Oats actually is, is take oat malt and then treat it like you're making a crystal malt. It's a very light color crystal. I think the usual range on it's about 10 Lovabond. It comes without the husk. It is a glossy brown. You chew on it and you get that same sort of nutty character that you get from the oat malt, but now actually with sort of more intensity, more pizzazz, there's a more toasted character to it. A little bit of sweetness like you'd expect from a crystal it is really cool and i've played around with it mostly actually in making new englandish ipas to give me a crystal character without actually having to use crystal this is one that i've really only played around with a couple of times but i can tell you i really dig it now Dan, have you played with any of those uh, i have used oat malt just one time and i thought that it was a, a really interesting thing and i should probably play around with it some more I would uh, love to actually uh, get more people playing with it. If you're interested in using these things, what styles do you use oats in? The classics are stout and porter. These days, when we think of oats and stouts, we tend to think of oatmeal stout, right? You know, kind of a slightly Swedish stout with the little bit of oat character. I'm sure, Denny, that was part of what you were playing around with when you were making your oat beers. Yeah. It's, you know, really just, there, make a stout, add some oats to it. And the idea is that the oats are supposed to help sort of sweeten up the beer and round off some of the harsher flavors and make a very soft, drinkable beer. So you'd see a lot of these, but what we're missing is that back in the olden days, there were oat malt stouts. And so that's where oat malt was uh, used a lot. I also use them a lot. Almost any time I'm making a darker beer, I'll have a little bit of oat in there to kind of round things out. But I also use them to make a pale mild, one of my favorite styles that may or may not actually be a style, but you know, Maris Otter plus a little bit of oat malt, maybe a light crystal and get that into like about a 1035, 1036 range. Boom. Drinkable beer. Perfect. Brown ales uh, benefit from it. And then to go to leave the land of the Brits and the Scots, we see them being used classically in wit beer where they're part of the ingredients that give that sort of wit beer cloudiness. And also, you know, kind of allow you to lay in a little more spice. One of my other favorites is actually a really old lost style that I learned from a friend of mine in the brewing club, Harlem Oat Bock Beer. So imagine if you made a triple, but instead of a lot of sugar, you have a lot of oats. 
And that's kind of exactly what this is. It's huge. It's almost like 40%, 50% oats. Really, really amazing. And then if you can push that even further and you can go into the world of oat wines. And I had a oat wine that I did years ago called the Alternative Oat Wine with doses of citra and magnum and other things in it. It was great, but again, it was like 40% oats. So kind of this big, rich, unctuous, almost too much. And I know that there are some people out there who have done 100% oat beers, because again, you can do that with oat malt. And those almost end up being hammy. Ham yeah, you know what? I've heard that before. Yeah, they get almost kind of a meatiness to them. And that's a little off-putting. We would be remiss in listing all the styles that you can use oats in. If we didn't stop and go and look at probably the biggest use of oats in American craft brewing today, the New England IPA, Denny's favorite style. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I, and I, I, I don't know that it's universal. That no, it's it's not. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of variations on this, but oats are a very common theme. And again, why? Well. If you're trying to make a beer that has a lot of hop flavor and a lot of hop aroma, but without a lot of hop bite, you know, something to kind of soften out the, the astringent hop characters or some of the tannins that might be picked up is a great idea. If it also adds to your haze in a style that seems to be, well, largely hazy in a great number of the examples, all the better. So yeah, we do see in a lot of these New England slash Northeast slash any IPAs, fair dose of oats. Now, whether or not that's the complete cause of the haze, I would say probably not, but it definitely does help to kind of round off some of that hop character. And again, my alternative oat wine that I made years ago was a heavy dose of oats to help kind of soften up a big punch of American hop. Denny, you got any other uses that you can think of? Any other styles that would uh, go well with oats? Well, I mean, I have had some uh, really good pale ales with oats in them, which is kind of what uh, spurred me into, into starting to play around with them and think about... Uh, non-traditional styles where you could use oats and uh, the uh, the oat pale ales that i've had were much better than the one that i made so uh, <laughs> yeah and i think the classic of that sort of vein commercially speaking was uh lagunitas equinox which is uh, an oat pale ale mm -hmm. and so if you wanted to find out what something like that could taste like then that would be something to look for if they're still making it. I know the Equinox name changed, at least for the hop. But that was a really, really tasty beer. But again, it used the oats in that same way to sort of allow you to pack in a lot of hop character without, you know, getting, like, overly harsh notes. Now, of course, that's also a big, strong beer. I think that's like 8.4%. So calling it a pale ale is probably reaching. Right, right. Here's, here's a question for you, and maybe you can answer it, and maybe you can't. A lot of people use like wheat and wit beers mm -hmm. and stuff like that to make it cloudy and throw flour in to, mm -hmm. to enhance the cloudiness. Now, and you were talking about how oats can also give you the cloudiness. Mm -hmm. With wheat, it will eventually clear up uh, no matter how much you try and make it cloudy. Does that happen with oats also? It can, but what I found is in the past that that oat haze kind of hangs out harder. It really does hang out there, and I don't know if it's finer or if there's more protein inbound in it, and that's doing weird things. Every time I've ever done an oat wart, I've never gotten an oat wart completely clear. But fortunately, I don't care about clarity. Yeah, right. So if you, that's part of the reason why I think it's such a popular ingredient in the New England IPA thing. When you do a mash full of oats, it doesn't matter how mm -hmm. much you Vorloff. It doesn't matter how long you let anything settle. You have sort of just a giant haze in the middle of this. All right, so now... 
we've talked about forms of oats. We've talked about styles that you'll see oats in. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how to use oats. And part of the reason I asked Denny earlier about the amount to use is the normal guidelines for oat usage is to say, you know, five to 10%. So five to 10% of your grist is oats. And that seems to be about what most people will say, oh, that's the maximum. Now keep in mind, we're talking about, look at some of our other adjuncts out there like rye, where people will say, oh, you can go up to 20%, but then you kind of have some problems. Or wheat, where wheat can be, in some of the Bavarian Hefeweizen, 60 to 70% of the grist. So oats have an interesting reputation. I have actually pushed, like I said in the past, oats all the way up to 50%. It's kind of a daredevil move because uh, it may come back to bite you in the butt. Oats have to be mashed. They do not self-convert. They need the presence of some sort of enzyme activity to convert the starch into sugar. So if you want, if you want to com ensure complete conversion, if you're going to do steeping for like an extract beer, it's usually a great idea to include, say, about a half a pound of pale malt. Is this absolutely necessary? Because if you look, a lot of old recipe kits, and some of the recipe kits I've written in the past for making an oatmeal stout, for instance, call for you to add the oats directly to the boil or call for the oats to be added directly to just a bunch of crystal grains that are being steeped where there's going to be no conversion and use that. Is this a problem? Um, I don't like it. I know uh, Mike Tonsmeer has done experimentation with it in the past uh, where he did uh, oats straight into the boil, but I don't tend to like it. Now, this is why we go back to those brewing specific style oats, because you can use both golden naked oats and oat malt directly in a steeped beer without any problems because they will self-convert. The other thing I will say about using oats, you can just go to the grocery store, buy the can of oats and go toss them into your beer and go, yay, we're good. But I will tell you right now, you will be much better served if you go and take those oats a week ahead of time and toast them in that oven, about 325 degrees in a single layer in a cookie sheet. Roast them for about 25 minutes, go in in about five to 10 minutes and give them a stir until they get really sort of toasty brown and fill your kitchen with the smell of wonderful baked goods. Then you take those out, you let them cool down, and I like to go then throw them in a paper sack and let that paper sack uh, kind of sit on a kitchen counter somewhere for a week so they kind of off-gas any sort of weird flavors that have developed in the oven. And then you add those to your mash, go straight away, and boom, you know what? You've picked up extra character for a relatively cheap price. Now, we alluded to this earlier about this other mysterious thing that's hanging out there. Gelatinization. What the heck is gelatinization? Well, the starch that's inside of a kernel of grain is not readily available to us to use for our enzymes to go, you know, mounge on. They're locked up in a crystal matrix. What you have to do is you have to break that crystal matrix. And all of our different grains and uh, different adjuncts have different temperatures at which that matrix breaks up. And that's called the gelatinization temperature. Now, with oats, we're very, very lucky that oats actually gelatinize at a temperature below where we normally mash. So I think if I remember correctly, the range is something like around 70 C. So because oats gelatinize at a temperature that we use in the mash, we don't actually have to worry about it. They can just kind of go in. If you're using rice or corn, you have to worry about that. Go back and listen to the cream ale episode and you'll hear me talk a little bit more about gelatinization and the cereal mash that you had to use in order to use rice and corn. If you're using flaked oats in particular, you don't have to worry about it. I did an experiment with steel cut oats versus flaked oats. Uh, just did two hour steepings on both of those at 152 degrees. Because part of my worry is it takes a long time for steel cut oats to cook. You can't get to the starches unless they're wetted. 
And you can't get to the starches in the middle of a, a grain unless it's been cooked through. Part of the worry was, okay, can steel-cut oats actually soak through in time? I steeped them for two hours at 152 minutes. The grains did get soft, but the steel-cut oats were actually still harder than the flaked oats. The flaked oats pretty much dissolved. And what I got is the wort out of the steel-cut oats was clearer than the wort out of the flaked oats. They both showed conversion, so they didn't have any free starch running around them. But the flaked oats had a much higher level of sugar, which means they had a better extract out of it. So I would still actually advise that you either wet your oats and soak them if you're using steel-cut oats, or you pre-cook them and use the, the cooked oats that way so you can ensure that you have complete conversion. And But now, Denny, I know you said in the past you've actually just used steel-cut oats. Yeah, I have. Um, you know, I, I did them without, a, uh, without any kind of cereal mash or anything, thinking that uh, they would gelatinize at mash temps. Um, you know, judging from my uh, poor experiences with oats, I'm not going to make any statement about whether or not that was successful or not. And so from my experiment, what I see is that you will get conversion. You will avoid any free starch, but I don't think you're actually extracting all of the the sugar potential that you can out of the steel cut oats just by uh, plain soaking in the mash. I remember the mash itself actually tasted sweeter in the steel cut oats than it did in the in the flaked because the flaked pretty much gave up all of its goo. Right. So now here we go. Things to watch out for because we've kind of talked a little bit about this. Oats have one big reputation. Stop and think about your morning bowl of oatmeal. If you're that sort of person, you love your oatmeal in the morning, you know that part of what you're looking for. I hate oatmeal. Well, that's you. <laughs> but if you love oatmeal and you look forward to oatmeal, then what you're looking for is a creamy, warm bowl of goodness that has kind of a, a thick, starchy, soupy, you know, sort of, you know, stickiness to it. Yeah. You know, and really kind of holds it together. Uh, that is a wonderful thing when it's in your breakfast bowl. If it, your oats are doing the exact same thing in your mash, it's not so wonderful. And you know what? It does exactly the same thing in your mash. What's causing it? Well, there are a, a series of proteins called glucans. And those uh, beta-glucans uh, basically will bind up into a mesh. And that mesh is what traps moisture. You know, it causes that sort of jelly-like thing in your warm bowl of oatmeal. And will also trap and prevent water from flowing through the mash. So how do you deal with this? To my mind, there are three ways of dealing with this. One is, use oat malt. It doesn't quite do this. Yay! <laughs> the other one is, uh, you can do a, a beta-glucanase rest, which is a special uh, mash temperature rest at about somewhere between 100 to 115 degrees Fahrenheit for about 20 to 30 minutes. And the idea is there are enzymes at, that are active at that level that denature above 120. They're called beta-glucanase. And the gluconases will attack uh, the beta-glucan and cause uh, the gumminess to go away. Then uh, the third option is uh, be a man, buy some rice holes, throw them in your mash tun. And if you do that, th those will provide enough cutting surface to get through the gumminess that happens. And that gumminess will then be interrupted and allow the water to flow through. So 
that's your biggest thing that you have to watch out for when you're using notes and probably part of the biggest reason why people say don't go above 10 percent because it's one of those things where as you go higher and higher in the content of your mash the more and more likely you are to have a stuck or a slow lauder uh, other things to watch out for we talked about cloudy work like we said you're not going to be able to vorloff the cloudiness out of this it's just going to hang there. So if you're worried about cloudiness, you can fine. You can also probably cold crash, but always expect a little bit of haze when you're using a good portion of oats. Other things that you'll also notice, uh, some people report that they get big croissants uh, from the yeast when they're doing a heavy oat beer. Uh, think again, uh, you know, just kind of a big throw because of all the extra goop that's moving into the fermenter. And then the other one is that some people, oats, particularly as they get older and are on the verge of going rancid, I mean, oats are usually heat treated to sort of destroy some of the enzyme activity so that they don't go rancid as quickly, but they will go rancid still. And they do have fats. Uh, so some people report that they have the opposite problem, not a big croissant, but that they actually have head retention issues from the amount of oat fat that's in there. Now, I've never seen that before myself, but it is reported. So you might want to keep an eye out for it. How do you fix it? I don't know. I think maybe you just get used to the idea that you don't have a head on your beer or you add some other foam positive agent like, say, oh, hops. So, Denny, do you have anything else that you want to add about oats? I think that uh, your uh, point about uh, rancidity is very well made, and I have uh, actually thrown oats away when I've gone to brew with them because they have gotten rancid. Uh, I've learned the best thing to do with them is keep them in the fridge or freezer. Yeah, and the... Fortunately, it's really easy. Just stick your nose in, in the bucket of oats that you've got. And if they don't smell fresh, if they don't smell like grain, and instead you kind of smell something that... It, it, it's kind of a sharp smell. I mean, I, it's hard to explain. Isn't yeah, it? it's sort of like... I don't know. It, it smells to me like the jar of bacon grease that you had sitting on your shelf. Yeah, that's a, that's a good explanation. Yeah. It, it, there's a meaty character to it that just seems a little bit no. Not a big pile of no, just a little pile of no. But if you get that little pile of no, go buy some more oats. They're cheap. And of course, we cannot leave you with a, a show that we've talked about an ingredient, particularly one that I love as much as I love oats, because I am the oat man. We cannot leave you without also leaving you with a recipe. So I'm going to go reach back uh, to 20, uh, 2012, and we're going to talk about my oatmeal raisin cookie celebration ale. You guys know that I had a dog named Cookie until recently, and she had spinal surgery. And when she had spinal surgery in order to be able to walk again, I decided, you know what, I'm going to brew a beer to celebrate the fact that she could walk again. And I am one of those weird people. I like oatmeal raisin cookies. If you gave me a choice between oatmeal raisin cookie or a chocolate chip cookie, I'd take the oatmeal raisin cookie every day. Oh, I wouldn't go that far, but I do like them. I decided I was going to go ahead and make a beer to taste like an oatmeal raisin cookie. What I ended up with was the Oatmeal Raisin Cookie Celebration Ale. This is for, going to be for a five and a half gallon batch, assuming 75% efficiency. Uh, it starts with 12 and a half pounds of Maris Otter, because I'm me and I love Maris Otter. Uh, one pound of flaked oats, toasted. A half a pound of Crystal 60, preferably a British. A half a pound of oat malt. About five ounces of Special B malt, because Special B malt gives you that raisiny character. And then two ounces of Carafa 3, the special dehust version. Hops are super simple. Half an ounce of Magnum for 60 minutes at 13% uh, alpha. 
And then when we get into the spices and other weird things, you have 0.4 ounces. So barely anything, like less than a quarter of a teaspoon of a really good powdered ginger. In order to get from the mash to the boil, you mash at 140 degrees for 30 minutes. And then you mash at 153 for 30 more minutes. And then you go into the kettle. Then in order to get your raisin character in there, what I did was I took a quarter of a pound of raisins, the old, you know, good old fashioned raisins that you give to your kid. And I soaked them in a pint of Sailor Jerry spice rum for a week. And boy, what I then did was I took the raisins out of the rum, put them into a hot bag. And I dunked the hot bag into the boil starting at 60 minutes and let the raisins ride in the boil for the full time. And then I drank the rum because it was good and tasted. <laughs> well, of course. You can't just throw it away, right? No. Good Lord. No. I mean, it was like the richest rum ever. After 60 minutes, pull the raisins, uh, make sure the ginger goes in uh, about 10 minutes, chill. And then I actually fermented this with two different yeast, tried it both ways. Uh, one was with the White Labs uh, 090 San Diego Super. And the other one was with the Y-East 1469, which is the West Yorkshire yeast. And of the two, I will tell you, I prefer the Yorkshire yeast. I thought that gave a much better character. But what you end up with is this incredibly toasty brown ale with cinnamon and raisins all over the board. And it's just fantastic. And the beer was almost as good as uh, that dog was. And to me, it's one of the best uses I've ever had for oats. So there you go. Anything else you think we should tell everybody about oats, Denny? Man, I think that uh, that covers it pretty well. Uh, and I think that I need to get back to uh, experimenting with oats. I'll put it on the long list of things I should start playing there with. There you go. The list ever grows longer as we do science and exploration. That's right. Well, you know, it's, it's like every time we uh, try and get an answer to one question, it uh, pops up another five questions to answer. Of course. Well, hey, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, brewers. Our friends who are beer drinkers, everybody out there listening to the podcast, I uh, hope that you appreciate this exploration of oats here on The Brew Files. If you have ideas or questions or things that you want answered or other things that we should explore, please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com or questions at experimentalbrew.com. You can also find us on Facebook, on Instagram. You can find Denny on every brewing forum known to mankind. You can find me on Reddit. You can find us on Facebook pretty much nonstop. And just feel free to reach out and tell us what you're thinking. Uh, in the meanwhile, don't forget, our show does have a Patreon page. If you want to support the, the show and support our charity of choice, which is right now the San Gabriel Valley Humane Society, where I rescue Cookie from, then go to patreon.com slash experimental brewing. Remember, even a buck helps our dogs. That's right. And you can help uh, help the podcast by going to experimentalbrew.com and uh, clicking on the BYO link to subscribe to Brew Your Own Magazine or clicking on the AHA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and get a subscription to Zymergy. All right. And there you go. Many, many ways to help us out and help us keep bringing you great content. Remember, we hope that you have a great time. Remember to brew wacky. <laughs> or, or brew experimentally. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. Music